Hike the trail? Check. Order takeout? Check. Schedule heart checkup? Done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe. Hike the trail? Check. Order takeout? Check. Schedule heart checkup? Done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe. It's time to talk the world's game from an American perspective. Presented by Three Lions Pub, you're listening to Two Up Front, where we focus on all things American soccer. From the NWSL, MLS, U.S. national teams, and all the way to the youth levels. Now in the studio, your hosts, Baxter Colburn and Simon Provan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the next edition of Two Up Front here on Brews Sports, presented by Three Lions Pub at the Attention Era Media Studios. We welcome you inside the studio, of course, for a Wednesday edition of the program. I am Baxter Colburn. Simon Proven joining me remotely today. Uh, he is thankfully not sick. We thought he may have had a case of the strep throat, but he actually uh, is A-OK. So, Simon, of course, it is uh, a very good thing to hear that you are not sick. How are you feeling? you feeling any well, better today? Well, I am, I am definitely sick. It's all sinus stuff. But, uh, um, yeah, I just got the word from the doctor that, you know, thankfully I don't have strep, but one of those one of those four o'clock in the mornings, what is going on in the inside of my throat kind of <laughs> deal. So didn't want to didn't want a chance in and coming in, Baxter, getting you sick, getting David sick, who I get to look here out in my beautiful screen. And... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but so, so just to warn you, Baxter, you know, I, I do have two kids at home on spring break. This this may end up being one of those BBC interviews where my kids have to run in. I was going to say, I mean, if you guys can make it look even better than that guy did on uh, on the BBC, I feel like that would be even better. I mean, you can, they're like, I wanted to like Spider-Man, like drop down and like peer in and be like, what? What's going on? And like, just like random things just keep passing through and just never acknowledge it. Be like, what was that? Get to do April Fool's Day today or this this year so. You could probably expect something. Hopefully not, but always expecting <laughs> expected on two up front. Exactly. That is absolutely true. But I noticed, Simon, that you and I got the matching shirt memo today. Uh, we are wearing our Joe Hawk shirts, courtesy of Joanna Loman and uh, the Washington Spirit. So a very big thanks to them. So shout out to the Washington Spirit for the Austin shirts. Uh, I believe it is. Uh, now I'm, I'm spacing on the Twitter account, of course. Is it show your spirit or rise, rise your spirit? I, I really like I feel like I should know this, but I, I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. But you know what? We know what, Braxter. We have a pre-recorded interview today. While we're playing that, we'll make sure we uh, we look it up so we give the right people the right credit because this is an amazing shirt. Feels wonderful. It's phenomenal. And come on, it's Joe Hawk. Right? We love what the Joe Hawk. What a way Hawk. to kick off the NWSL season on two up front by wearing some Joe Hawk shirts. Exactly, exactly. Well, speaking of said interview, Scott Caldwell of the New England Revolution will be here on the program in our third segment. Make sure to stick around and check that out. 
Uh, Simon goes all nerdy on Scott, so we'll see if Scott actually enjoys that or not. But, uh, of course, you can find the show here on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Central Time, live here on the Brew Sports Network. You can also find it on their website, brewsportsnet.com, and, our, and, our, and on our website as well, twoupfrontsoccer.com as well. Two up front in the search bar there. While you're there, why don't you give us a like, maybe a share? That'd be kind of cool. You can also find us on Twitter at Two Upfront Soccer. Of course, we have our own Twitter feeds. I, I go about and stuff on soccer, but also politics sometimes. Not too much politics, not to scare anybody, but also theater <laughs> stuff, just general thoughts. Uh, I'm at Simon Provan, and of course, Baxter is at Baxter Colburn. Yes, indeed, Simon Provan. So a couple of things to take care of right away here in the kick around as we are getting the show underway, of course. We are on Facebook Live, so make sure you hit us up with any comments or questions or thoughts that you have about the soccer world. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to hit the share button as well, too, so more people can check out what we've got going on. Of course, the European Champions League is the first and foremost thing that the soccer world is captivated with on an international level. We're very international on the kick around today, Simon. Uh, the Champions League, of course, very first and foremost. I, w I didn't get a chance to watch the game yesterday, but I was following along remotely, and I still have gone back and double-checked and rechecked and quadruple-checked that Juventus actually won 3-0 against Barcelona. I'm just absolutely flabbergasted by this, but at the same time, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, that Barcelona kind of seems to be in that changing of the guard, sort of not as dominant as they used to be, especially now that Neymar was out for, these, uh, for this game as well, too. Well, you know, Baxter, the thing to keep in mind, of course, is that we all thought Barcelona was done with PSG. Now, did they get a little help from the referee in that series? You could argue that they did. So we do wait and see what happens in the second leg. But, yeah, Dybala scoring twice for Juventus. Um, bit of a shocker, I would say, although a lot of people, you know, from the start of this tournament were saying, look out for Juventus. A lot of people are counting them out already. Uh, but here they are, Baxter, looking like one of the best teams in this tournament can Barcelona come back from down 3 nothing? Uh, we didn't think so against PSG, but they did. Can they do it against Juventus? That's, of course, the big storyline with Champions League. Of course, and today, of course, is the monumental game when everybody's watching the, Barca the uh, Real Madrid versus the Bayern Munich game today. Lewandowski is actually not even going to play in tonight's game, according to ESPN FC, which, of course, is going to put a bit of a dent in the powerful attack that is Bayern Munich. But... I'm really hopeful that it's not a Barcelona-Real Madrid Champions League final. I'm getting really tired of that. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, there's always the surprises. It's, it's very much like college basketball, I feel like. You've got, you know, the, the surprises that kind of work their way into at least the round of 16. But when it's all said and done, it's always Barcelona. It's always Real Madrid. It's always Atletico Madrid. And then usually somebody from Italy is trying to hang out. And Juventus happens to be that team this year. But... I mean, it's not, I'm not mad about the four teams that are in the final four here. Sound like it, okay, but... I'm really mad. Let's be honest. I want a little bit of change. That's why I'm glad that Barcelona is not the one winning that series because Real Madrid, I think, has a great chance to beat Bayern Munich. But I just, I'm getting tired of this, honestly. I want, I want some change, and I want the money to stop going to just the power clubs here. I don't know about you, Simon. City is still in this thing, Baxter. They're taking out, of course, Atletico Madrid, Diego Simeone. Simeone. Yes, yeah, Simeone. Has, uh, has talked about that he really is scared of Jamie, Jamie Vardy, um, and that's basically his whole plan of attack or plan of defense, you could say, is all about Jamie Vardy. So, you know, don't don't throw Leicester City out of this yet. They've been doing okay in the league. They're going to survive, it looks like. Um, so I think they can put the league a bit to rest and really 
as they've done all season, just focus on Champions League to continue that Cinderella story. Uh, I, that's the game I'm most interested in. A lot of people had said Le- there's no way Leicester City would even get this far, and 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 here they are. But they're taking on a very powerful Madrid side that, of course, is going to be very well prepared for Leicester. So we'll see what happens there, Baxter. And it is very much a tale of two cities. I mean, you look at what Leicester is doing in the Premier League, just atrocious, a shell of what they were last year winning the winning the Premier League, you know, blowing all the odds. What was the 500 to 1 odds or 5,000 to 5 trillion to 1 odds? Either way, there was a lot of odds and there was a 5 in there somewhere. That's all I remember. But, I mean, what what can you possibly say about Leicester if they actually upset Atletico Madrid? Atletico Madrid has done nothing but great things, not only in La Liga, but also in the Champions League the last three or four years. Would that Would Leicester City be that true fire Cinderella going into this final couple of rounds, or is Leicester City actually good when at least in Champions League, you know, and that side of things? Yeah, I don't think you can argue with the results. Now, look, they had a very easy group stage. They got out of it, but then they took care of business the rest of the way. Have they had some of the weaker teams? Yeah, absolutely. But you don't get this far on luck. You don't. You do not get this far in Champions League purely on luck. They've had a few things go their way, but Baxter, they've they fought. They've scraped hard to get where they are. Um, and as I said, you can't discount them, but. But if they continue to go on, is it a Cinderella story? I don't think you can de- deny that it is. As long as it's not a discount double check, I feel like Leicester City would be just... <laughs> <laughs> so... By three bombs, reports coming out this morning that those bombs were filled with nails. Uh, a couple of those nails ended up in headrests, so... This could have been a lot more tragic than it was. Of course, the game was supposed to be played yesterday, got postponed to today. Uh, but as we posted on our two up front uh, Facebook page, really cool story how the Dortmund fans reached out to all the Monaco fans. And basically, all the Monaco fans ended up staying overnight at the homes in in, uh, in Dortmund with their fans. They had started a hashtag. Um, I, I can't remember what the hashtag was, but it was like uh, stay, at, stay at a Dortmund home or something like that. Uh, so it ended up being a really cool story. You know, what a what a way to take tragedy and turn it into something beautiful. But, of course, there's still soccer to be played, and that game will happen later today as well. Um, actually, just pretty shortly after we get off air here, 11.45, Borussia taking on AS Monaco. Yes, I think this is absolutely just a great thing for, you know, in, in the sense of the fans and what they're doing. Obviously, this... It's a tragedy, and thankfully only one person mildly got hurt, and he's going to be out a couple of weeks, too, from the reports that I've seen. Uh, Mr. Mr. Barthra there will be out several weeks after the blast. But I feel like if you're a U.S. national team fan, you're sitting here at home going, whoosh, because, I mean, what if Christian Pulisic had gotten hurt? I mean, the, you look, Borussia Dortmund in general has some of the very best young, talented players from numerous national teams. So you'd like to think not to be, you know, cliche and punny. They dodged a bullet on this one, honestly, because or dodged the nail in this sense. But it's good to see the fact that, you know, thankfully not a lot of injuries were sustained. But my question, though, to you, Simon, that a lot of other people have been debating as well, too, is is this too soon to try to play this game following a potential near-death experience for a lot of these players for Borussia Dortmund? Well, from the player's perspective, uh, I would actually say no. They probably want to get this put behind them as quickly as possible. Also, I think UEFA is being sensitive to the traveling fans. Um, So I... From the outsider's view, is it too soon? I can see why people would say that, but ultimately I think the positives outweigh the negatives in this sense. Again, people spent a lot of money. You know, Europe is is a, not, not a huge continent to go from one country to the next, but you spend a good amount of money just on tickets alone for this. So for these people who probably have taken off of work, um, 
paid for their train tickets or plane tickets, paid for game tickets. Uh, on top of just the expenses to these clubs, I don't care how rich they are, there are expenses to these clubs. I think it's the only right thing to do is to play the game now. Yeah, and I would agree with you on that one, too. I mean, I'm looking here on Facebook as well. Adam chiming in. Good morning to you, Adam, says, uh, football, soccer in parentheses, uh, is the best medicine for tragedy. And I would definitely agree with that. I mean, how many times do you see just the, the soccer world coming together as a whole after, you know, international tragedies, domestic tragedies? And just it always feels like such more, so more of a family atmosphere than really any other sports, you know, at the professional level, in my opinion. I don't know what you think, Simon. Yeah, absolutely. And the other part of this too, Baxter, if you don't go forward with the game, you're basically saying to the people who set these bombs, okay, you win. You know, and you can't let them win. You can't let them win. So yes. you play. You're right. You're absolutely right about that. Speaking of winning, the United States, Canada, and Mexico is hoping to win the 2026 World Cup bid. They have officially uh, sent in their bid just earlier this week, a very monumental press conference taking place. Granted, we're still a fair amount of time away from finding out who's going to win, but I want to get your thoughts about this, Simon. This is a monumental thing, a three-nation vote or three nation bid rather uh, for a world cup to my knowledge has never been done before we've seen a lot of dual nation hosts before but what were your takeaways when you heard about this monumental acknowledgement and just excitement in the soccer world this is the part of the show where i get back to go what wake me up in 2020 right no i mean that makes a lot of sense i mean we just it's a, it's a great thing it really is i mean from the from a, from a general perspective i mean the us hasn't hosted a world cup since 94 but you're right there's still so much that has to go into this because i mean as you mentioned 2020 i'm assuming is when they actually make the announcement so said that they want to put a bid in again is morocco morocco lost to the us in 94 they lost out on the 98 bid they lost out on the 0406 and 10 bids as we've seen with FIFA, they like to spread the game of soccer around. That's how it ends up in a country like Qatar. Um, you can argue they bought the World Cup or FIFA just wants to spread the game. Nevertheless, it ends up in a <laughs> – I see what David's doing. Yeah, doing the money lots sign. of money. Yes. Yes. Lots and lots of money. <laughs> a lot of people are looking at this like, all right, good. The World Cup's going to be here in 2026. And what I'm saying is not so fast. If Morocco bids this thing and they haven't hosted yet, you know, the thing that's working against this bid, Mexico has hosted the World Cup twice. The U.S. has hosted it once. Now, personally, would I love it here? Absolutely. And they're talking the split being 60 games in the U.S., 10 in Canada, 10 in Mexico. That's already upset a few people in the Canadian and, and Mexican federations. But, look, the fact of the matter is the U.S. is the one country that, that can host this expanded World Cup all on its own. Right. 48 teams, the games go from... Uh, what is it, 60 games to 80 games, so you're adding 20 games to this. It makes sense, and that's what worries me. FIFA doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, you make a valid point about that. And I mean, even the non-soccer fans that I know that have been reacting to this, they've been like, oh, wow, like we might get the World Cup. I'm like, easy does it. There's a lot that goes into this. And as you mentioned, Morocco, I mean, first of all, Morocco, I think of as a budding soccer hub, of course. That makes total sense to me, but... Why, why in the world would Morocco win a bid? But I know exactly why, though, because, as you mentioned, the finances and also the international growth of the game. But I feel like Canada, though, is kind of the awkward stepchild in this, th this tri-person bid here because 
Canada, if this was the Women's World Cup, you and I would be having a much different conversation. Be like, well, yeah, of course Canada should host it. They already did. They just hosted the Women's World Cup recently, and it was flawless. I think people really enjoyed it, aside from the artificial turf and some of that other conversation. But the United States, though, it has the hundreds of thousands of people, the millions of people that would make this, you know, that would make the journey to watch this. I'm not going to fly to Morocco in 2026 to watch the United States play soccer. I'm just not. Maybe, maybe some people might, but I just, I feel like that just sounds like a very terrible idea that Sunil Gulati brought up actually that I, actually I don't use this word often with Sunil Gulati but I thought it was a brilliant point um, is that one of the big issues with World Cup with countries who host the World Cup is what do you do with these stadiums afterwards exactly billions of dollars on some of these in in, in Brazil who you know has a lot of poverty in their country uh, Qatar even though um they're a very rich country. They still have poverty there. For crying out loud, they're basically using slave labor to build their stadiums. But the, the, to get to my point, what Sunil Galati talks about is we have the in infrastructure. We don't have to build anything. We don't have to worry about spending all this money and then going, oh, my goodness, what do we do with these stadiums? Because right. these stadiums are already built. They're already being used. Um, you know, and a lot of people – a lot of people have come out and said, well, yeah, but they're going to be played once again in American football stadiums. Look, all these new football stadiums have been built with soccer in mind. Uh, you know, the House of Jerry has specifically been built with the idea <laughs> of hosting World Cup games there. Right. I mean, the new Mercedes-Benz Arena as well, too, in Atlanta is absolutely a true right. testament to that. Just a gorgeous, gorgeous arena that, I mean, people would be foolish to think that wouldn't host at least one World Cup game or maybe a semifinal game or anything of that nature. And and uh, the last thing I'm going to point out too, Baxter, people are saying, wait, how can three CONCACAF teams get automatic bids then? Got to remember, folks, that 48 teams now are going to be in this World Cup. It's already basically been announced that CONCACAF is now going to get six bids uh, in this in this World Cup. So Canada, U.S., Mexico all automatically qualify. Mm -hmm. You still have three more uh, teams from CONCACAF that have to qualify for this tournament. So. I think still, I think six is ridiculous from CONCACAF. We're not that strong of a region, even with a 48 team. But if you're going to go that route and still have to make three other teams qualify, again, it's not much of an issue for me with having Canada, the U.S., and Mexico all automatically. I mean, U.S. and Mexico pretty much going to qualify anyways. How sad is that that Canada had to wait to try host a World Cup to potentially actually qualify for the World Cup? I mean, come on, Canada. Granted, you'd like to think by 2026 they might actually have their act together, but that's kind of sad, especially, I mean, does Qatar even have a national team? I'm pretty sure they do. And they're going to they're gonna get bounced in the first round. They're getting round. bold. I think they're getting mauled right now in Asia Cup qualifying or whatever. The, sorry, whatever the tournament is there. Oceania, yeah. I don't know. Some some place out there. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I know they're part of. Hey, look. You know the U.S. U.S. thankfully qualified for that 1990 World Cup. Otherwise, the U.S. would have been hosting the World Cup, and uh, that would have in '94. That would have been their first time in the tournament. Had True. not been. The, for the miracle in Trinidad from the shot heard around the world by Paul Caligiri. That is absolutely true. Three Lions Pub in Milwaukee, Wisconsin is just the place for me. They've got everything. Great pub food, a wonderful selection of draft beers, and a brilliant atmosphere, especially during Premier League matches. Check out the Three Lions Pub menu at threelionspub.com where you can also find all their specials and the great events that take place throughout the year. Three Lions Pub, where across the pond is now across the street.
Well, speaking of uh, the shots heard around the world, people are going to start to hear shots from the NWSL here soon because their season kicks off on April 15th on Lifetime and uh, still get to hear exactly where the rest of these games are going to be played, Simon. But as we mentioned earlier, we've got our Joe Hawk shirts on representing the Washington spirit. Not exactly the teams you and I personally support. I'm more of a Houston Dash guy. You're more of a Portland Thorns guy yourself. But this NWSL season, I think, is absolutely pivotal to the success of women's soccer, not only domestically but internationally because of the new partnerships that the league has, but also the, all the players that have kind of come back to the league and are continuing to flux out as well, too. How excited are you for this weekend to finally get here and we can finally see NWSL soccer back in action? Oh, Baxter, I'm, I am thrilled. Uh, you know, I, I do have a soft place in my heart for Sarah Hagen getting cut by the Orlando Pride uh, but, of course, that was to make room for Marta, so hard to argue against that. Uh, but then you hear just a couple of days ago that Sarah did get picked up by the Houston Dash. We're hoping to get Sarah back on the show here at some Woo! point. Uh, Houston but, Dash. Uh, yep. So, <laughs> so your Houston Dash picks up Sarah. Um, and, of course, you know one of the reasons that you and I celebrate her, she's, she's from our home state. She's from Appleton, Wisconsin. Yes. Um, so, But, yeah, Baxter, I mean, it's it's – I think it's going to be a great season. We've seen so many teams restock. We've seen Seattle restock. Um, of course, curious to see what happens with Boston. Um, Washington, even more curious because of all the great players they got rid of. They brought in a few good ones, um, but just some very curious moves there. FC, uh, I was going to say Sporting Kansas City. FC Kansas City gets some of their big names back. Um so you can't help but be excited about the season, Baxter. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm absolutely beside myself with excitement. I mean, I'm looking at these rosters through and through. I'm looking at, you know, the Houston Dash, of course, as we mentioned as well, too. Portland is going to be a fun team again, of course. I mean, Allie Long has been scoring goals at the international level for the United States. So, I mean, you'd like to think that's going to translate back over to the club level as well. But my, my real question, though, and it really does center around, how are teams that struggled last year, like the Sky Blues, excuse me, like Orlando, like Houston, like Boston, how are they going to do in this season? I'd like to think Houston's going to take a step forward. I'd like to think Boston's going to take a step forward, but I don't necessarily know if you know bringing in an old-school player like Marta is going to actually help rejuvenate Orlando because they've got a lot of holes that still need to be filled, especially on the defensive side of things. But I think that there certainly is going to still be a lot of surprises for this NWSL season. The good teams are going to probably stay good. Seattle's going to contend all season long. Portland's going to contend all season long. Chicago has been nothing but consistent the last couple of seasons also. Washington really is that wild card, and so is FC Kansas City. They get Sidney LaRue back. They get Amy Rodriguez back. What are you going to get with those two forwards, though? Shea Groom has really kind of stepped up in that team as a whole. I want to see how those three players are going to work together as well. Is one going to come off the bench? I mean, we've had this discussion before as well too, Simon, but like, what do you, how do you take away from some of these certain things? Well, look, don't forget that Orlando also has Ellie Krieger now in the back, Baxter. True. Um, they've, they've shored up their defense there. Uh, and I still think, yeah, Marta is 31 years old, but she still plays the game at a world-class level. Uh, I, I was reading the – here we go. You know I'm the stat nerd, Baxter. She's been part of three leagues that have gone under. So hopefully – Hopefully she does not cause the NWSL to go under. <laughs> I swear to you, Marta, you have one job. Do not ruin the NWSL. I saw her play in the WPSL, but I swear if she does, I'm going to be so mad. Uh, a couple of comments on Facebook here, too, I wanted to get to. Uh, Raymond says that you could argue that the United States brought the World Cup back in 1988. Um, he says at least that's what the English press said in the U.K. Uh, Adam also said that Ireland is playing Mexico at MetLife in New Jersey, and they are predicting that at least 60,000 people will be attending uh, it's a friendly. Um, the U.S. and FIFA 
Yeah, the U.S. and FIFA don't have to worry about attendance and likability. That, that, I completely agree with you on that one. Uh, and Raymond also says, and the real reason why they qualified for the World Cup was because Mexico was bad back in the day, apparently, for the United States. But Still had to play games, and the U.S. went with all college kids, basically. They had a few professionals, but uh, don't discount the, the miracle that was for the U.S. getting to that 1990 World Cup, Raymond. Come on, man. You know, <laughs> uh, fact, sir, I, wanted to, I wanted to get back to the NWSL and talk about one player that I think is going to light up this league, and that is Rose Lavelle. We had her on the show recently. Boston Breakers have her uh, number one draft pick. Listen, the two games she had played for the U.S. Women's National Team, Baxter, it, it, men's team, women's team, she is one of the most exciting players I've seen in a long time on that field. Uh, she lit up Russia like there's no tomorrow. I really want to see her in the center of the field. She's been playing on the wing quite a bit for Jill Ellis. I want to see her in the center because I think she's the type of player that uh, with the awareness that she has, with the confidence that she has in the ball, uh, for her ability to just ping passes wherever she wants it, I want to see her play almost that classic number 10 role. Have yeah. Crystal Dunn up top. Um, I think those two will combine in a, in a great way. Of course, I'm not talking NWSL. I'm talking U.S. Women's National Team. But to know that Rose Lavelle is coming into this rejuvenated Boston team, I'm keeping my eye on the Boston Breakers and, and specifically Rose Lavelle. Well, here's my question with Rose Lavelle, though. I mean, I, you and I had her on the show, as you mentioned last week. She's an absolute joy to speak with, and her talent certainly is there. I just want to know how that's going to transition over to her being more of a leader on the club side of things, because let's be honest, Boston is searching for that person that is going to lead them to the promised land. Rose has that talent, but I'm worried that the amount of pressure she may end up having to face by having to be the face of the franchise to an extent this early in her career I mean, I'm assuming she's going to be just fine, but I truly am going to be watching her with a much tighter lens now because I want to know if she's capable of actually living up to all the hype. It's a number one draft pick, after all, and people always have that extra stipulation of like, okay, are they going to actually perform like a number one draft pick? Internationally, yes, she certainly has. She got that goal against Russia. I mean, you and I could have probably scored against Russia in that game too, Simon, not to take anything away from Rose, but I want to know what she's capable of doing now that she's going to actually have to play against world-class players day in and day out. College, a little different. I think that she's going to have a lot more pressure sitting on her shoulders now once the season kicks off this weekend. Absolutely, but don't forget she'll still be playing with players like Adriana Leone, uh, you know, possibly those two playing up top together. And of course, she's got her U.S. teammate Megan Oyster in the back there as well. Um, so I, I totally get what you're saying about now playing against world-class players week in and week out. But my biggest takeaway from those two games against Russia, Baxter, was, again, her confidence on the ball, no matter who she's playing against or with. I think that's going to translate very easily over the NWSL. I'll be surprised if she struggles. How about that? That would make a lot of sense to me, yeah. I mean, here's the one thing that I noticed, too, from these U.S. games is that you could tell that the players were really, really bored. Like, the goals that they were scoring, the way that the team was kind of moving the ball, they're like, yeah, we know we're way better than Russia. Oh, there's another goal. Like, woo, I'm going to kind of celebrate. Like, they just looked bored. They didn't look like they cared that they were curb stomping the Russians 9-1 to over two games. I mean, did it actually do any good for the team as a whole? I mean, winning by that many goals? I, you know, I, I think what it does for the team is is uh, Jill Ellis is still working those younger players into the system. And what I enjoyed seeing is the old guard and the young guard starting to find a chemistry together. To me, that was the main point of these games. It wasn't about whether they're winning or losing. Um, they do need some confidence. Look, the biggest thing that the U.S. women's team has to do is start playing some friendlies off of U.S. soil. They're getting too comfortable at home. 
Um, I, and I, we see that in international tournaments. They go away and suddenly they're a bit frazzled. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they, they need to get off of American soil. And I know they'll do that soon. I know they'll do that this summer. But I'd like to see even more of that. Yeah, and I'd agree with you on that one, too. I mean, I, they're going to be playing Sweden in Sweden, which I think is going to be a huge movement for the United States. And you're going to continue to see this growth of the team as a whole, you know, from the young player to the new player. There's one other player that I'm curious to watch as well this upcoming NWSL season uh, is, of course, the leading goal scorer and the MVP winner last year, Lynn Williams. How is she going to translate from one year's worth of success to the second year? Is she going to still be this high elite player for basically the same North Carolina Courage team? I certainly think she has the talent to do it. She's done fairly well at the national team level as well. I just want to see if I'm a, you know me, the one word I always say about it, I'm like, well, show me the consistency. I want to see if the consistency is there for Lynn Williams after she had such a breakout season last year. I think she has the talent to do it. She's got the supporting cast around her also. But I want to, I want to know your thoughts, though. Is Lynn Williams going to have a even remotely close to a successful season this year as she did last year? You know, the one rule, Baxter, when it comes to picking champions is don't pick last year's champion. True. It's very difficult. And I, I think you can apply that for the most part to players as well. Um, maybe Lynn Williams is an exception. I don't know. You figure she's still, again, having having the support and, and leadership of Sam Mewis, of course, Jess McDonald. I mean, as you said, Baxter, basically what's amazing to me is that this entire Western New York Flash team packed up and left and all went together to North Carolina, and co including Coach Paul Riley. So she definitely has all the pieces there to repeat again. But when you're talking about players in the league, again, like Rose, like Marta, uh, other strong forwards in the league, of course, it, it, I think it's going to be a tough task to repeat as the uh, leading goal scorer over the entire season. Doesn't mean she's going to have a bad season. I would just, I'd be surprised if um, if she is able to uh, repeat what she did last year with the amount of goals that she scored and, and that MVP season. I I don't necessarily see it happening because she's going to have a bad season. It's just she had such a wonderful season last year. I don't think she can repeat that. Yeah, and I'm, gonna... I'm happy to be wrong about that, too. So if Lynn's listening to this, <laughs> doesn't mean I think any less of her. Um, I just I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, Lynn Williams as a whole is just one of those players that I mean, we've had her on the show before. She's very humble, very much just the type of player that you want on your team. She's a team builder. She's overcome a lot of adversity in her career, and I think ultimately she is going to be that you know, dynamic player for the Courage this season, and they're gonna, they're gonna, she's going to score goals. I'd be foolish to think that she's not going to score the goals, and I'm really excited to see what she's capable of bringing out this year. So we're going to move into uh, the next segment here, though, and we're going to bring in Scott Caldwell from the New England Revolution. Uh, Simon and I had the opportunity to sit down with Scott last night uh, here on our Facebook page, Two Up Front, where we do a lot of our one-on-one -on -one interviews. Scott is a very budding, talented midfielder for the New England Revolution. We got a chance to sit down with him. So take a look at the interview that we did with New England Revolution midfielder Scott Caldwell. Maybe not. Possibly. We'll get to Scott in just a minute, possibly. We got to make sure we find the right button to push to get yeah, Scott on the show. Yeah, that's okay. I know, I know Dave's looking for it. You know, what, we were talking about all the outfield players, Baxter. One of the, one of the in, or goalkeepers I wanted to talk about real quick was Sabrina D'Angelo. Um, again, playing for North Carolina. Sabrina was absolutely wonderful last year in that NWSL championship game, stood on her head. Of, she led in two goals, but, man, she made so many great saves. 
One bad thing that we saw from her in that final was the way Crystal Dunn basically got around her and put that goal. Sabrina got caught out of position. But when it came to that shootout, that was all Sabrina D'Angelo. So I want to see if she can carry over what she did last year into this year's play. So, uh, you know, as, as much as we're focusing on the outfield players, like I said, let's not forget about some of the wonderful goalkeepers. Ashley Harris, another one uh, that, that will be exciting to see in the in the back there. Yeah, Ashlyn Harris certainly is a very talented player. And, I mean, the goalkeeper battle at the national team level has been exciting with Ashlyn Harris and Alyssa Nayer, too. So uh, the goalkeepers are something that NWSL has never had a problem with. But uh, I think we're good to go with Scott Caldwell now. So uh, without further ado, the New England Revolution midfielder Scott Caldwell joining Simon and I here on to up front. Uh, we hope you enjoy the interview. To do special player interviews from time to time, and we uh, had a great one on last week. We had Rose Lavelle on from the Boston Breakers. We also had Stephanie Oaks last week. But now we get to venture to the similar area of town, at least for the Boston Breakers' perspective. We get to go to the New England Revolution today, Simon. A yeah. very exciting opportunity. Uh, we get to bring on Scott Caldwell, uh, one of the midfielders from the New England Revolution. Uh, it's kind of an exciting time, of course. The Revolution are taking seven of their last nine points as well, too. Uh, some tough teams as well, too. Absolutely. But, yep. uh, a great time for sure if you are a Revolution fan. So uh, with all that being said, we do welcome in Scott Caldwell to the broadcast on the shopfutsal.com. Call in line. Scott, a very good day to you, sir. Thanks for swinging by to up front today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing well, Scott. It's great to hear from you. Uh, certainly an exciting time taking place here in Boston right now. Uh, walk us through these last couple of games because this first part of the season I don't feel like was exactly how the Revolution wanted it to go, but seven points from the last nine games, you get some pretty crucial victories and even draw a very talented Portland team as well, too. What's been the key to the success for the Revolution recently? You know, uh, we've always uh, stressed the importance of, of team shape in defending, uh, and we started off with two tough road games. Obviously, they didn't go the way we planned, but when we got back to that home game and got a good result against Minnesota, um, we were kind of able to build off that with our confidence, and we really um, stepped up our defending, I guess, in Portland. So, uh, like you said, it was really, really big to get seven of these last nine points, and uh, we, we've done a great job defending from top to bottom and uh, have kind of built uh, our attack from that. You know, um, And it, with our... Our structure, our team shape, we really need our, our whole squad to defend um, and be in good spots to, to, to attack after that. So I think they've done a great job with that. Well, Scott, talking about shape, talking about defense, one of the big things that we saw in this last game against Houston, which I think for many was a, was a surprise win Huge of 2 nothing. Of course, I was reading that Houston hasn't won on an artificial surface since, like, 2013. Ah, uh, but, okay. But the, <laughs> one of the big things we Scott's saw in the like, game. like, just let us enjoy the win, Simon. <laughs> I'm Gosh. sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, I'm a stat nerd. i got to no, throw that stuff out there. <laughs> but, but speaking of stats, uh, one of the big shifts that we saw uh, Jay Heaps make in this game was Chris Tierney came off the field and uh kellen rowe got a start at left back which brought you back into the starting lineup scott so i'm curious about how that obviously it worked out well for you but but getting back in the starting lineup uh what did that mean for you uh you know i think it's everything's going to be a, a, a day by day game by game basis but uh it felt great to be back in the lineup uh, no one likes to to be watching the game you know everyone wants to play and however you can help the team out that's what you're going to do um but that's a, that was an interesting stat regarding the uh, artificial <laughs> turf. 
I uh, I wish you hadn't told me that because we had some confidence after that game. But uh, <laughs> yeah, leave it up to me. Way to go, Simon! Just ruining ruining the momentum now. Well, Scott's but, gonna walk into practice tomorrow. And be like, guys, did you know? And you'd be like, gosh, Scott, why's guy named Simon? Yeah, what does he know? Gosh. But, no, no, no. I'll but look, keep that to myself. Yeah. <laughs> look, the fact of the matter is you guys went into Portland, though. You drew with Portland, as you said. I mean, obviously you took a lot of confidence from that. Regardless if they haven't won on turf in a while, Houston is a very different and powerful offensive-minded team. team this year, and you guys handled them splendidly. But here's the thing. Uh, you guys have played all Western Conference teams so far this season, which is which is crazy considering you're an Eastern Conference team. <laughs> so you take finally you t- you take on a team this weekend in the Chicago Fire, an Eastern Conference team. What's the big plans for this weekend against Chicago? Yeah, it is bizarre. We've only played uh, Western Conference teams, but I think all the guys are are really looking forward to finally getting an Eastern Conference opponent, and uh, you know it'll be very important to get a good result there with the you know difference in points kind of double points if you get a win especially away um against the chicago so we're gonna have to really focus again you know just like we did in portland really focus on our defensive um shape and build from there you know as the week goes on we'll talk about more specific uh ways you know and game plans like we we came up with against houston um and we'll have to put what our coaches decide and put that to the to the test against chicago and, and get a result how does the possibility of playing against Bastian Schweinsteiger on the same field, you know, potentially a guy that's been around, I mean, you know, Scott, you and I are generally around the same age, like a guy that we would look up to when we were kids. Now here he is, you know, going to be sharing the same field with you potentially. I mean, how do you, how do you game plan for something like that for arguably one of the greatest, you know, German midfielders to ever walk on a soccer field basically and someone you may have to deal with as well too for maybe 90 minutes? Yeah, there's there's nothing you can you know game plan really for a specific thing like that, but uh, it, it will be a pretty cool moment if that does happen. Um, but once the whistle blows, you know, all that's kind of thrown out the window, and you just have to perform it and do your best, um, you know, to help the team win. So it, it could be a cool moment uh, if it happens. Um, now I'll be I'll be looking forward to it if it does, but uh, really, once the whistle blows, the, the game's on, and, and people forget about that. Well, speaking of another player's career, Scott, not Schweinsteiger's, but yourself, uh, you've been with the Revolution really since your academy days. You went to the University of Akron, uh, but uh, another stat nerd here, um, Diego Fagundes became the first homegrown player, homegrown field player to reach 10,000 minutes. Bill Amid, of course, goalkeeper, also reached 10,000 minutes as a homegrown player. Scott, you look like you'll be the next person to reach that milestone. I think it's pretty cool knowing that you and Diego share this journey together. I wonder if you could talk a bit about that. And, you know, it looks like in possibly five, maybe six games, you'll be crossing that 10,000-minute line. Yeah, well, first of all, congratulations to Diego. I mean, that's it's a pretty cool thing to do. It's special, um, especially to be able to play for your, your hometown team um, in any any capacity and to get 10,000 minutes is, is definitely a big milestone. Um, you know, I think our coaching staff and our academy staff have, have really shown that they, um, trust the academy players. And I think that's very, very big. Um, you know, it's definitely gives us a lot of confidence to go out and perform when, when they trust the, the young guys coming through the academy to, uh, put on the jersey and, um, and play for their hometown team. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I hope it, the moment comes, and uh, you know when it does. I hope it's uh, <laughs> that 
during a good game like Diego got, and uh, we have good performance. Talking with Scott Caldwell here on the shopfutsal.com, Colin Line on two up front. Uh, Scott, one of the things we've seen uh, moving to more of an international level here with Bruce Arena has been a lot more MLS guys getting called into camp. Uh, some young, some old, some that you know he, people still question. But I, I'm wondering from your perspective, because that uh, that style of the midfield play that you do so well on a, on a week out and week out basis, do you do you obviously have asked? to play at the national team level, but has there been any conversation with you uh, from Bruce Arena and the staff as a whole based off of the, the young career that you've had, but also the early success that you've seen as well so far? Uh, no, no, there's been no conversation there. Um, but like you said, you know, it's always a dream uh, to play for your national team, and that would be pretty cool, but I would, uh, you know, with conversation being discussed there, you know, uh, most important thing is to get results for your club and to play the best of your ability for your club. And, and the better your team does, the more your individuals will be, um, you know, kind of in the spotlight, the more they'll be, be seen and uh, deserve to get those opportunities. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of young, talented American players on our team. And, you know, the better we can do in the league, the, the more uh, opportunities we'll have. So it's something that um, it's good to see, you know, MLS guys doing well under uh, Bruce, and, and it's just hope that, um, you know, that can continue. Well, Scott, one of the other final things for me, at least, uh, before we let you run, is the, the Revolution have kind of been on this up and down turn. Um, as someone actually that is a supporter of the Revolution since the early Taylor Twelman days, I've been on that roller coaster with you as a as a fan, not necessarily as a player. But uh, you I, haven't been a player. I, I've been trying. Uh, keep trying. Okay. Right, Jay, just, doesn't return, Jay doesn't return my calls. Okay, <laughs> so if you want to tell Jay Heaps to pick up his phone, Scott, I'd be grateful. But you guys are kind of deep at the forward position, I guess. So I might have to wait a while. But uh, you, you look at this Revolution team going from competing in an MLS Cup a couple of years ago to then barely kind of getting by the last two years to now all of a sudden getting after this kind of a hot start as well too. The big conversation though from a Revolution fan perspective is when is the stadium going to be built? <laughs> Do you think that the Revolution, number one, need a stadium? And number two, have you heard anything about a potential stadium within our lifetime? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I think you know just as much as I do in terms of uh, a stadium being built. So I'll start it off with that. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. You know, they, they keep it very in-house as they should. Um, and I think my perspective is that the Crafts want a uh, soccer stadium for the Revolution. Um, but, you know, they're... they're and welcome back inside the studio for two up front. Apologies about that. Some technical difficulties taking place with the interview there with Scott Caldwell, but uh, a great interview overall nonetheless from him. Uh, some great insight. And just love the, br the brutal honesty that the way he kind of just goes about the game as well, too. So, uh, Simon, it was also obviously great to, to hear what he had to offer us as well, too. I mean, he certainly was uh, loving the fact that you were uh, throwing those hardcore stats at him as well, too. But uh, <laughs> what was uh, what were some of those? What were your, some of your uh, brief takeaways there from, uh, from Scott Caldwell? As a whole? Well, it was it was interesting to hear him almost surprised as we were about the adjustments that Jay Heaps made in that last game with with moving Rowe back to left back, tyranny uh, again <clears throat> struggling with a bit of an injury, uh, being taken out, and of course, you know, not a surprise to have Scott in the midfield, but. But it was interesting to see, and the one thing I would have loved to ask Scott had we had a little more time and had I been thinking a little bit better, is is this something that he expects the revolution to continue to do, you know, to have Jay Heaps play?
play some of this chess match with the starting lineups a little bit more for the rest of the season. Yeah, that is a very valid point, honestly. I mean, for the most part, Jay Heaps is usually pretty consistent. But yeah, Kellen Rowe playing left back, as you mentioned during that last game against Houston, was a bit of a surprise. But I think that ultimately the Revolution are on the right track moving forward. So I'm curious to see what they do the next couple of weeks because that'll be very telling for their success the rest of the way. Uh, just kind of closing out the rest of the show here, we do want to look back quickly at the week that was and then give some predictions for the upcoming week of Major League Soccer as a whole. Uh, of course, the Revolution, I thought, was kind of that surprise victory this last weekend, that 2-0 victory over the Houston Dynamo. Portland got that big win as well, too, uh, 3-1 over Philly. And then you saw a couple of the other games that uh, some folks may or may not have been surprised about. I'd like to think that that Atlanta-Toronto FC game, that 2-2 draw, some are calling that, Simon, one of the best games that you'll see all season long in Major League Soccer. But uh, what were your takeaways from this last weekend's uh, worth of MLS action? Snow, snow, snow. RSL taking advantage of that snow to get their first win on the season. Uh, really taking it to the Van. It, it's it's ironic, isn't it, that RSL beats a team called the Vancouver Whitecaps, <laughs> shuts them out. Um, but uh, again, we, you know, we had talked about last week that Mike Pecky taking the reins officially for that game. So it, it doesn't. It never surprises me when a team comes out and wins its first game under a new coach. I think the first 45 minutes were a little bit more telling in that game in that uh, it was a lot more back and forth. But RSL took advantage when that snow started coming down. Uh, I think um, Chris Wondolowski continuing to play the role of heartbreaker. Looked like the Seattle Sounders are going to win that game in San Jose, but Chris Wondolowski getting that last-minute goal for San Jose was, uh, again, not a bit of a surprise with Wando, but a bit of surprise that San Jose walked away with a draw in that game. I think the big surprise in the season thus far, Baxter, is Orlando. Right. Even the New York Bulls 1-0. Um, they're technically points per game, second best team in the league at this point. That just blows my mind. I can't even with that. I just, no. <laughs> Why, Orlando? Why? You're supposed to not be that good, and here you are continuing to win games. That's just, I'm not a fan. But, I mean, good, good, for, good for them, though, I guess. It actually is, is making the Eastern Conference more relevant because Orlando is doing well because they're a big draw. So that makes a lot of sense. And I'll say the last thing, Chicago Fire, Dax McCarty. I don't know if you saw the pass that he made, basically 60-yard pass on the ground going through every single player on the field leads to Chicago's game-winning goal. Unbelievable play from McCarty. So maybe Chicago's also really starting to be who they've always wanted to be. Yeah, that is certainly something to keep an eye on. Dax McCarty, I saw a report this came out this week that he actually contemplated taking a leave of absence after he got traded to the Chicago Fire uh, after that kind of unceremonial departure from the Red Bulls and then, of course, him getting married as well, too. So glad that he obviously didn't end up doing that. I think he makes the game of soccer that much better. And, of course, Chicago uh, is thrilled to have a player like him on their club as well. Uh, do we want to move into our predictions now, Simon, since we've got to wrap up this show? All right, so uh, predictions. Um, the, the interns have yet to return from how we did last week, so once they get those uh, tabulations officially done for us, we need to get, like, Ernst & Young or something on here to help us keep track of, like, the ten things that we do uh, each and every week. But let's take a look at the upcoming games this week. Three games taking place on Friday night. Uh, you've got Philly, NYC, FC, Vancouver, Seattle, San Jose, and FC Dallas. Uh, I'd like to think, for the most part, that there are three clear favorites to win in each of these games, FC Dallas, NYC, FC, and Seattle. However, based off of how the season has gone thus far, Simon, do you disagree with those as three possible victors for this possible weekend? Yeah, you know, I have to say that I've been surprised by NYCFC and not doing as well as I thought they would this season. Um, I think, the, what, they're sitting in the sixth spot in the East right now. Uh, Philadelphia, though, is horrible. Oh, terribly. <laughs> uh, so I, 
I will go with NYCFC Baxter. I agree with you on that one. Uh, Vancouver, Seattle, this is an interesting one. Just looking at the injury list here, Baxter, Vancouver's got a lot of players out right now. Uh, but the, the, the two big ones are Hurtado and Breck Shea, apparently, um, are out for this weekend. Seattle, they're struggling. But when you have Ladero, Morris back on the field together, uh, Dempsey doing all right, I think it's an easy pick in Seattle in this case. Yeah, and I'm going to have to agree with you on that one, too. Seattle, clearly the better team. Vancouver just getting smoked by RSL this last weekend. And, yeah, as you mentioned, Philadelphia, they're horrible right now. Uh, San Jose FC Dallas, I think, is going to be close. I think Wondolowski and the gang out there are going to keep it fun, especially since it's a home game for them. But FC Dallas still ultimately that team to beat in the Western Conference. Uh, but San Jose, though, it's good for Major League Soccer that San Jose is starting to become relevant again, I feel like, after their dominant run in the early years of, of Major League Soccer. Tell you, it's the one thing shaky about San Jose. Obviously, um, is is their defense tends to fall apart for a few minutes during the games, and if FC Dallas can take advantage of that, uh, we'll see FC Dallas win this one. But Baxter, I'm going to take this as my upset pick of the week and take San Jose. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. San Jose getting that clean victory. Uh, you've got Seattle as well. Atlanta and Montreal. Uh, Atlanta, listen, they're, they're playing outstanding soccer right now. They're almost rated number one in the power rankings on MajorLeagueSoccer.com. You and I are going to get some power rankings out here as well in the next couple of weeks. We like to usually let a couple of weeks of soccer pass before we start getting too invested in power rankings. But listen, Ad- Atlanta is a great club still, regardless of the players that uh, may or may not be struggling with some injuries right now. They are going to go into Montreal, and they are going to emerge victorious in this one. Uh, I've also got the uh, the same feeling for Orlando, actually, against L.A. I think Atlanta and Orlando are going to emerge victorious uh, over the weekend. What say you? I will agree with you on Orlando. Atlanta, though, they drew in Toronto. Uh, Toronto's a much better team than Montreal. Atlanta has to continue to travel on the road. I'm actually going to take a draw in the Atlanta-Montreal game. Sounds good. Chicago playing host of the New England Revolution. Chicago getting that uh, nice result over the weekend. The Revolution, of course, that shutout victory against the Dynamo. Uh, the Revolution, I'm going to do this, and they're probably going to end up losing, but they've been doing well. They've, seven of their last nine points have come uh, from Western Conference teams. I think they're going to end up winning this game against Chicago because uh, they ultimately have been on this run recently, which means they're going to lose 5 nothing. So, I mean, but I'm still going to take the Revolution because, you know, go Revolution. I will. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, Chicago is is getting their, all their pieces together. New England's doing the same. I think this. You know, these these Chicago New England games can sometimes be uh, a little bit on the boring side. But I think this is going to be one of the more exciting games of the week. But you got firepower again, like Dax McCarty, Janino uh, playing well, uh, Schweinsteiger playing great already this season. Then of course on the flip side, Juan Agadalo playing fantastic, Lee Wynn, Scott Caldwell playing quite well. Um, this is a tough one, Baxter, but I'm going to break your heart. I'm going to take Chicago on this one. Boo! No, it's fine. I understand. I mean, I wouldn't be. I'm not. Like I said, I'm not mad about that. It makes total sense. Honestly, you can't. You can't argue against that. I mean, uh, looking at the other couple of games here, uh, Red Bulls, DC United, and the Crew and TFC. I think the Crew TFC game is going to be a lot of fun. Personally, two teams that have high-powered offenses that are continuing to find, you know, kind of claw each other tooth and nail for the top spots in the Eastern Conference. I think that ultimately ends up in a draw, and I think that uh, the Red Bulls are in search of a very much-needed win, and I think they pull that out against the DC Uniteds of, of the Eastern Conference. 
We saw a DC United team that's starting to put their pieces together a bit. So I'm actually going to take DC United in that game, even though they tend to struggle in New York. Uh, Columbus Crew, Toronto FC, one of those underrated rivalries that you don't hear much about, but those fans do not like each other. I like the way Columbus is playing, Baxter, and I'm going to take... Actually, no, sorry, I like the way TFC is playing. So I'm actually going to take Toronto in this one. Ooh, Toronto. All right, fair enough. I can get on board with that. Uh, Last three games here, Houston, Minnesota, Colorado, RSL, and Portland and SKC. Uh, I'm going to start with Houston. I think that they're blood-hungry after getting shut out uh, on the road. I think they're going to come back and just punish a very weak Minnesota United team, and uh, it's not going to be pretty. I think there's at least three or four goals scored in the first half for the Dynamo in this one. Uh, RSL in Colorado is kind of a snooze fest. I mean, RSL might be starting to get that you know thing back together, uh, especially after that 3-0 victory against the Whitecaps last week, but I still ultimately believe that RSL vi- uh, grabs the victory. Or, I'm sorry, that that's going to end up being a draw, and then I think actually Sporting Kansas City is going to be the upset against Portland over the weekend. Get through these quickly as well. Let me just keep it simple. I agree with you on Houston. Minnesota's still on track to give it the most goals in season history. Uh, Colorado RSL. I'm going to take Colorado because of their defense, even though they gave up three goals and Tim Howard got in a shouting match with Don Dwyer. We still don't know what that was about. Uh, I think he's going to be fired up for this Mountain Cup rivalry. Portland taking on Sporting. We still don't know who Sporting is. Decent game uh, against Colorado. Finally came out of their shell a bit with those three goals, but Portland's just playing too good at home, Baxter. I know they had that draw recently with New England, but they still look decent in that game. I'm going with the Timbers. Going with the Timbers. Who did you take in that uh, Colorado RSL game? I didn't hear you officially on that one. Colorado. Sounds good. Well, I actually have these all written down this week, Simon, so we might actually have a half a clue come next week. But like I said, we'll send the interns back to the last couple of weeks so we can update us because as of at least three weeks ago, you were winning by one point. So we need to see where we fall after that with the uh, Champions League games and all that other fun stuff uh, as well. But Simon, we got to get out of here, unfortunately. Uh, I'm glad that you're feeling better, that your family's feeling better as well, too. Uh, you may or may not be here next week because you're going to Vegas, baby. Uh, so we'll have to see what kind of a state you're in and if you haven't gambled away your life and show at that point um, depending on what you do uh, with the wife out there in Vegas but uh, definitely looking forward to it again uh, thanks to Scott Caldwell for the League of Revolution for swinging by today as well too if you have any thoughts or comments about what we did as well you can you know, share it, you can do it here on the Bruce Sports Facebook page uh, of course in the comment section below and of course you can find the show on BruceSportsNet.com and on our website too up on Soccer.com as well Type it to up front of the search engine. Give us a like. Give the show a share if you'd be so kind. Find us on Twitter at 2 up front soccer. I'm at Simon Provan. You're at Baxter Colburn. That's correct, I am. It's been a pleasure, Simon Provan. Uh, we will talk to all of you again next week at 10 a.m. Central Time, live right here on Bruce Sports. For Simon Provan, I'm Baxter Colburn. With our manager being the one above, we are 2 up front.
Simplify your federal agency's technology procurement with Connection Public Sector Solutions. Connection's dedicated account managers, commitment to exceptional customer service, and extensive catalog of federal contracts make IT purchases quick, easy, and affordable. Turn your challenges into opportunities and get rid of your technology pain points with Connection today. Learn more about what's possible with Connection Public Sector Solutions at connection.com fedcontracts. Hike the trail? Check. Order takeout? Check. Schedule heart checkup? Done. We've all adapted to a new way of living. Keep your health care on schedule with Johns Hopkins Medicine, where your health and safety are our highest priorities. We're ready to care for you through virtual and in-person visits across Maryland and the greater Washington region. Your health, our experts, safely caring for you. Schedule your care now. Learn more at hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash safe.